may be cold outside, but it feels good in here. Thankful for a warm church and thermostats that are computer controlled that turn on and just the right time and put it at just the right temperature. But I'm not really even talking about the Fahrenheit. I'm talking about the warmth that I feel in His presence. There's a lot of things that we don't see, but we know they're real. There are germs that we don't see with the natural eye, but if we get them under a microscope, we can start to see germs and see their effects. Radio waves and things, there's, there's things going on. I've got a phone sitting right over there that I can connect through Wi-Fi or through cell towers. And I can't see those signals, I can't see those images that go from that tower to that, but somehow electronically it makes these things and I can watch a movie, I can watch a commercial, I can listen to music, I can listen to a voice that I can tell it's, it's not just a voice that's speaking, I can tell whose voice it is. It is so precise that if it's one of you calling me, I can perceive it's your voice. All that stuff is amazing to me. Because we live in that realm enough, we know that that is real. But I'm telling you, long before cell towers and long before radio waves and long before we had microscopes to look at germs, there was a spirit world. Now we haven't invented a microphone, a microscope yet that can see a spirit. We, we don't have anything yet that I know of electronically that can dial in and see what's going on in the spirit world. In fact, I believe that it will always be humanity that will be the only ones that will be able to know. The spirit world already knows. Whatever angelic presence, whatever demonic presence, whatever thing is already out there, they already are living in that realm. They know it's real. They have an advantage. They know the spirit world is real and it's obvious that this natural world is real because they're involved in it. But there is a very real spirit world at work that there is nothing to measure that except us and the Word of God and us discerning in prayer what is going on around us. It is real. You can't see it, but you can discern it. And you can watch the effects of it. Well, how do you know, Pastor? Well, I know because I see the effects of it. And when I see patterns in our government, in the educational system, in Hollywood, in our music, in other areas, and I see certain spirits and certain things where it's funny how a whole, a whole culture of things begin to shift. That's when you know that a spirit world is at work. And, and, and it's not just those things working independently, but they are being tools is all music bad no are all politicians bad no are all uh, uh, teachers in the educational system bad no but certainly if we're not waking up and being led by God we're being motivated by something and so there's always a spirit world at work I want to be able to discern that I'm not talking about anything spooky I'm just talking about a reality we're here in church today, and then we know when we walked in that it's not a club. So we expect that we're going to talk about God. 
So there should be an also an expectation that if we're going to talk about God, there is a very real world that he's a part of. They that worship him shall worship him in spirit and in truth. So we are going to read the word here, but we also have to have an understanding that we are daily, Monday at work or at school or friends and family, that we are we are navigating through a, a very real spirit world. And I'm thankful that we've started this year off with prayer and fasting. And I feel a sense of destiny, a sense of excitement um, that I've probably not felt in a very long time. I feel like God's going to just lift the lid off of our expectations and off of our influence and off of those areas that we've been seeking for a long time that we're going to start walking into dimensions and into places that we've been in whether we realized or not but instead of us being recipients of things that are happening in the spirit world we're going to start to take our rightful place in the spirit and we're going to be the ones moving the spiritual activity and influence the spiritual activity and overcoming things that have tried to keep us captive whether it's by deception whether it's by influence whether it's by depression whether it's by any number of things that the enemy has tried to hold us down to this year is the year that the Lord takes the lid off of our faith and we begin to move into new places of dimensions of the spirit world and we begin to overcome things that have tried to hold us back and we become the overcomers that God has designed us to be. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it's going to be a familiar passage. Last week, we talked about one of our phases of what we're really going to try to work on this year, and that is just relational prayer. All other types of prayer are going to be born and birthed out of us just craving the presence of God. Where we just linger in prayer, not that we discipline ourselves for an hour of prayer, which is not wrong, by the way. But that we get into a place that as we discipline our time frame, no matter what that time frame is, that we will look at our watch and say, oh my goodness, I just went way past my prayer time. Like you do with a friend. Like you do with someone you love. You get caught up talking and say, oh my, look at the time. That's where we're going to be this year. This year, we're going into our next phase. This week, we're going into this next phase of our vision for this year. Matthew 28, starting at verse 18. I'll read out of the King James this morning. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always even until the end of the world. Amen. Let's all pray together and lift our voices and ask God to help us today. Jesus, open our hearts, open our minds, open our ears. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit would say today. Lord, not only as you seek to set us free, but as you, 
help us to be free so that we can be loosed to set others free. Lord, that we can do your business, Lord, and be about our Father's business. I pray that you not only open our hearts and our minds, let us be anointed in our hearing today. Anoint my mouth to speak and to preach and my mind to say what you would have me to say, to do what you would have us to do this year. In Jesus' name we pray. Look at your neighbor and say, rescue someone. Amen. Let them know you're glad they're here today and then you can be seated. When we talk about evangelism, many times we think in terms of numbers of people coming to Christ. We think about people just randomly coming to church and, and, and the church growing, and that just is kind of an instance uh, and a, an example of what we would consider evangelism. We should, however, be thinking in terms of needs and condition of the eternal future of a single person. It shouldn't be so much church growth as much as it is a person growth because if this person grows and if this person grows and if this person comes and gives their heart to Christ and if God is drawing on this person and they come then then we will look around the church and see what we would call revival but if we simply look and sit around and say well we're not having revival yet then then it's going to be a long time looking for that. What we are truly looking for is an individual conversion. And as we see several individual conversions, then we begin to see the revival and the concept that we have. We should be thinking of the future of a single individual's. What are the needs of this person? What are their questions? Not what do I think they need to know about God, but let's first ask, what is your need? What is your concern about the future? Do you know about eternity? Do you have any questions about eternity? Do you have any friends? Are you hurting right now? Are you hungry? And so there should be some things that we begin to find out the needs of the person. What are their questions? How can I help them at the point of their needs? What can I personally share with them? You can share my, your personal testimony about your salvation, about your healings that God has given you. You can encourage them, and you can give them hope, and you can give them friendship. You can share yourself with them. You can give them prayer is something you can share with them. You can introduce them to the Lord. You can bring God into that moment and not be weird. You can pray with somebody and just say, hey, can I pray with you about this? Because I think God can do more for you than what I can do. And although we do what James says, you don't tell somebody to go away and be warm and filled. If they have a need, you do your best to try to facilitate that need. But at the same time, you got to give an opportunity to introduce them to Jesus and just say, do you mind if we pray? If you only say, well, I'll just pray for you, and you walk away, and you don't try to help at some level, then that's not really what we're supposed to be either. There should be a balance of us trying to help needs, understanding we can't possibly facilitate every need that there is in Pickaway County. We as the church, we as individuals, even as we're trying to be like Christ, cannot 
feed everybody that's hungry, but we can feed somebody. We can't help everybody financially. We might be able to help a person or two here and there. We can't help everybody with friendship. There's not enough of us to befriend everybody in Pickway County, but we can be friends to those that we know and that we're close to and that God puts in our path. And so we share these things. Another thing that we could share with that person is Scripture. Everybody say the good news. The gospel is still good news. It is full of doctrine and teaching and different things of, 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 of who God is and there's great things in the Bible. But all of that is still good news for a world that doesn't have much of it. I've often thought that there would be a great newspaper if you just gave rescue stories and, and things that a police officer did right instead of just every time something goes wrong, they're on the front page. If you, if you showed every time an officer did something good or did something off-duty or did something that wasn't in his job description, if you, if you showed firefighters and EMS people, if you showed school teachers and if you showed people in life that were doing good things and the local UPS or FedEx driver that did some nice gesture uh, instead of the package that gets thrown over recklessly over the fence, but they actually did something nice. I wonder if it would be a great newspaper. I wonder if it would be a great news station if you just had just good news. That's what our world is in need of. Some good news. Unfortunately, what draws us at the checkout counter is who's getting divorced next, what movie stars are getting divorced, who's Who's in rehab? Who's in this? Who's, who's doing this? Who got, who got abused? And, and, and these things that draw our attention. And that's why the news typically at night is full of bad news. And yet the Word of God is full of hope and encouragement and, and, and faith and, 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 and trying to help us to move past this, this world. In fact, understand this. God is not as much interested in our politics as He is the kingdom. And although we would like to see great economy and great politics and great freedom and great liberties and all these things, we know that scripturally things are marching towards more towards the opposite of those things. And yet, I, I want him to be more interested in my life. I want him to be more interested in, in, in saving the republic. And I want him to be more interested in that. But the reality is, he's wanting me to be more interested in the kingdom of God, which is going to come after this world. This is, again, back into looking at the realm of the Spirit and the dimension of the Spirit and me waiting past who's going to get elected this next election and what are going to be the new laws or, or what are going to be the, what's going to be the gas prices and all this. He's wanting me to, to be aware of those things, not have my head in the sand, but he's wanting me to look past that into a kingdom that's coming after this world that's bigger than Russia, it's bigger than the U.S., it's bigger than China, it's bigger than all of this. It's a kingdom that's going to be out of this world. And as I focus on that and we get other people focusing on that and people that are, that are looking for hope, we have to offer them hope in that world. Two days ago, I went to a hospital to, to pray for Steve Harris that attends the church in Columbus. And in nine days, I'll be preaching his funeral. Is that good news? 
It's not good news in the natural. I've got to try to help a widow plan her husband's memorial service. How does she navigate moving forward? Pastor, I thought you were talking about good news. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. You see, the news is not so good as I, I've prayed for people. In fact, the testimony that I told his wife, his sister-in-law, and another man that was there, I said, I prayed for a man that was in very similar conditions a few years ago. He was in his hospital bed at Burger Hospital here locally, and I, I went in and I talked to the nurses, and I said, how is he? And they said, we're just keeping him comfortable. Anybody that has any medical experience at all knows what that means. I went in and put my hands on Buck, and I prayed for him. And I prayed the prayer of faith. I prayed that God would heal him. I prayed that God would rise him up. I prayed that God would come into that room and do things that the doctors couldn't. I'm thankful for doctors. I'm thankful for hospitals. I'm thankful for our modern technology. But I know all healing comes from God. We have medical people in this room. We have medical people in the Columbus Church. But healing comes from God. And He is able to either use them in the process or bypass them and say, I'm going to do a miracle right now. I prayed for Buck, left that room, went back to check on him just to see kind of how things were going because I hadn't heard any news that I thought I might be hearing. You know, you pray in faith, but you still kind of walk a little bit in the natural, a little bit more than you want to sometimes. I just wanted to see if I was the only honest one here. We pray by faith, but sometimes we pray for good weather to still leave the house, leave the house with an umbrella. So sometimes we pray for a miracle, but still kind of wonder if you're going to get that phone call. Prayed the prayer of faith, didn't get a phone call, so I went back just to see how things were going. Buck was sitting up in bed, I walked in. Perfect timing. They're pulling this tube that's about this long right out of his nose. Zip. I didn't know that thing was that far up there. Sits up in bed and he's getting ready to order his food and all this. I'm, I'm just thinking that that is a miracle. Like I was shocked that God did what I asked him to do. That's good news. That's good news. And so, but wait a minute. What's the good news for Steve Harris? Glad you asked. He still got his miracle. But it's not the way I wanted the miracle. You see, Steve Harris was away from the Lord for a number of years. But he came back to the Lord a few years ago. And at 69 years old, I'm going to preach his funeral. And I have hope in eternity. 
Because you know what? At some point, I have to break the news to you. Statistically, in Pickway County, 100% of people in Pickway County will die. And Franklin County, <laughs> Ross County. You see, none of us make it out of here alive. Well, Lazarus was raised from the dead to die later. He still died. Again, the good news is then what? And so this invisible world that we talk about is there. Again, we don't have a microscope. we got Hubble. we got all kinds of things. We're looking at Mars. We're looking at these planets. We don't have one yet. That We haven't found heaven yet. But I'm telling you, it's there. The good news is, after this life, whether you get your healing like Buck did, or whether you get a different healing and now never get sick again. Steve Harris got the healing that he'll never get sick again. He'll never be sad again. He'll never worry again. He'll never have fear again. He'll never pay taxes again. He'll, he'll never be betrayed or disappointed. He'll, he'll never worry about the gas bill again. He'll never have any problems again. He has gone on to his reward and will be there forever. And so the, 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 the good news that we offer is we can't always tell somebody, God's going to get you out of this situation. He will, but it might be then. It might be an eternity. I wish I had the, the, enough power that I could make everybody's problems go away. But I can give you the hope that one day all of your problems will go away if you make the right choices. Give your heart to God. You're saved. That, that I can give you an assurance. I can give you a promise. The good news is that someday, it may not be in this world, but someday everything's going to be okay. I can make that promise with assurity. I can pray for you now, and I've seen financial craziness. I've seen God do crazy financial things for, for people. I've seen healings. I've seen restoration of relationships. I've seen, I've seen deliverances from drugs, alcohol, all kinds of abuses and things. I've seen God do, do so many things. I watched Sharon Peters, my first service at this church, my first elected service at this church. I watched your mother-in-law die in our office. You want to impress a church? <laughs> Be the brand new pastor and have your secretary die in the front office in your first service. We got people in the sanctuary. I was there. A few of us were there. Called the squad and we started praying. I told my wife, I said, get in there and get everybody praying. They started praying. Bobby Hodum at the time was away from the Lord, but she had been in church for years with Sharon. So she, she was on the EMT squad that night, and she came in and called her by name. And I'm like, this person apparently knows her. Well, I didn't know at the time, but they had been friends for years. She screamed her name and started working on her. Well, she came back to life. Is that a miracle? I'll say what you want. I, I'm pretty impressed. Bobby said she was out, yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. 
seven to ten minutes, which is brain damage. She had none of that. Got her out of the hospital. She went back to being my secretary. I never again walked in there and gave her handouts to print off for me before service. A little bit of a conditioned response there, you know. Didn't go so well the first time. Um, Fast forward 24 years. She passed again. This time he didn't bring her back. He didn't bring her back here. He decided to make her alive there. You see, that's the hope. But I also have hope that we can pray people back to life. Jesus said, greater things than these shall you do. So we can pray for deliverance. We can pray for all these things. But the, the good news is he's able to do that. However, it's still about the kingdom of God that we can all participate in and be a part of. This Matthew 28, 19, after the resurrection, Jesus returns, and the last thing Matthew records him saying to them is, is this great commission. Almost every Christian would know what the great commission is, and, and, and everybody has certainly has heard of it, so you would think that if that's called the Great Commission and every Christian, doesn't matter what denomination you are, every Christian has heard about the Great Commission. You would think if it's called great and it's a commission, if your boss gives you a commission, if the military gives you a commission, then it's a pretty good idea to go on ahead and do it. And so we call this great important, this word great means important, or this, 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 this big commission it would seem like we would want to get that right if we're going to be followers of Christ. And in this commission, he says, go, find people, reach them, minister to them, teach, baptize. This great commission, what is he asking us to do? What is he telling us to do in this great commission? What are these things we should be doing? We should be, we should be going. We should not just be inviting people to come, which we should do. Nothing wrong with that. But it doesn't end there. This great commission is to, is to go to reach people. That's why he filled us with his spirit. So it wouldn't just be a matter of people finding Christ in a building. We could actually go and take Jesus with us out and go reach people and go do ministry there so that all ministry doesn't have to happen in the church. All deliverance should not be happening in the church. All preaching should not be happening in the church. All worship should not be happening in the church. All prayer should not be happening in the church. All Bible reading should not be happening in just the church. You are the church. We are the church. It should be happening anywhere we are. And so this great commission, what we should be doing is going and finding people, reaching them, teaching them. For us to teach, we have to be fairly skilled ourselves. That takes a little discipline. If you got a promotion coming up, most of us will study for that. If we have a job where it requires uh, continued education, you're a doctor, you're a nurse, you're a school teacher, there's something that requires additional education. We don't even balk at that. We understand it is such an important field that I have to stay current on what's going on. 
I have to even be refreshed on some of my skill set. Our goal is this year as the church is to provide you with materials and things that instead of you having to try to work through that, what's important, all this, to, to begin to supply you with materials and things. That here's, some good, here's some good scriptures on salvation. Here's some good scriptures on repentance. Here's some good scriptures on baptism. Here's some good scriptures on, on receiving the Holy Spirit, receiving the Holy Ghost. Here's some, here's some scriptures on overcoming bitterness. Here's some scriptures on these areas so that we can equip you so that if you are equipped with one or two or three scriptures in each category, then you can teach. And you can help somebody else find Christ. Luke 19.10 For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. If this was his mission, shouldn't it be ours? If the mission of Jesus was to seek and to save lost people, shouldn't it be our mission? You see, the typical believer spends most of their time and energy trying to keep themselves saved. It should be common for us to be consistently reaching lost people and making them disciples. This great commission will become the culture of this church. It'll just be what we do. We're just natural at it. That's just that's what, what we do. We would, we would rather do that than anything else. We'd rather do that than functions and activities. And if we do have functions and activities, it's not just for our benefit. We're having those to try to reach people. And that'll become our very culture. 1 Peter 3, 15 but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh for a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. That means you're equipped and you're ready with some biblical knowledge and some understanding. But understand this, please, please, please don't forget the last four words with meekness and fear. Please, please, please please make sure that when you're giving people scripture, it's not to win an argument. It's not to try to let them know where they're wrong. Always make sure that you present a scripture in a way that's kind and genuine and accurate. But you're doing it also in the fear of the Lord. Have a few scriptures memorized to share with someone. Do it with tact and do it with love. Matthew 9, 36 says, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted. And they were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. You talk to any business right now, it's hard to find workers. Why? Well, because we're just shelling out checks. Why would I want to work? I had a man tell me years ago, this is when I was a youth pastor. When I was a youth pastor in Columbus, Ohio, the guy came knocking on the door. I had just went down Sullivan and saw Wendy's was hiring. At the time, it was pretty good money. It's eight bucks an hour. That's nothing now, but at the time, it wasn't bad. Eight bucks an hour back in the early 90s. I said, hey, they're hiring down to Winnie's. He, he came, knocked on the door, said, I need some money. I need some food. I need some gas. I need some things. And I said, well, I can, you know, I don't really have any money. But if I did, if I gave you a few dollars, I said, um, um, you know, that's going to run out quick. I said, but I know who's hiring. He said, where? I said, Wendy's down the street, eight bucks an hour. He said, I can make more, <clears throat> more money than that begging. <clears throat> 
Well, he just helped me determine my level of giving right there. <clears throat> Not long after that, I had a buddy of mine that I worked there. I worked at Ameritech for years, but in the evening, even while I was making good money at Ameritech, I worked the evenings. I worked two full-time jobs for a while. And, and so uh, I'd work from like 6 to 2 in the morning. Then I'd, I'd pack two lunches in the morning. I, the night before, I'd pack two lunches in my big lunch box. And, and I'd work from six, uh, 6.30 to 2. And then I would go right from there to the pallet yard. And at the pallet yard, I'd build pallets and make, I'd make, you know, a dollar a pallet or 50 cents a pallet or a quarter a pallet. Whatever the price was, I would get paid per pallet. And then I worked there from about 3 to about midnight, and then I'd just do it all over again. And so I did that for a while. Um, so I knew what the job was like. It wasn't horrible work, but it was hard work. So I told my buddy that ran the place, I said, hey, Jeff, I said, will you send anybody here that I send you? If they have my business card from the church, my business card, Bill Pelham, youth pastor, church there in Columbus, if I give them, if they show up with my business card, will you hire them? He said, I'll hire anybody that you send me. I don't care if they're homeless. I don't care well. I don't care if they're skilled, not skilled. If, if they have your card in, in, my, in, your hand, in their hand, I'll hire them. I'm, that, that was a great relief to me because I was always coming up to stoplights where people were saying, we'll work for food. And so I wanted to give them the option of not just handing them something, but I wanted to give them the option. And I had helped plenty of those people. But, but I felt like, man, if I was in that condition and somebody gave me a $5 bill, that's one thing. But if somebody said, I'll hire you, and I never have to do that again, I'm taking that all day long. So I thought, this is awesome. This is brilliant. I'm a genius. Sometimes you have to tell yourself that because sometimes other people don't say that. So, so I started going up to stoplight. Somebody said, well, work for food. I said, man, is that true? Yes, sir. And I said, okay, here you go. I said, talk to Jeff. I write Jeff on the back of my card. Give him this card. You'll be hired on the spot. And they'd give me this look. Can I tell you? That after doing that for five years, one guy showed up at Jeff's. And one guy got hired. And so the laborers are few because sometimes people don't want to do work. I know there was years ago there was a lot of four-letter words that we used to call. That you didn't really want to say out loud. It seems like that's become one of them. It's nothing new. Jesus said this back in red letters, back in this scripture in Matthew. He said, the harvest truly is plenteous, but I can't find workers. Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers unto his harvest. You see, the connotation there isn't that God is short on wanting to send us. The thing that's difficult there is probably us responding to that call i don't really think that if we have a lack of harvest that we're really like well if god will send them we could really do something around here i think it's more that he is talking to us but we get busy and we have other priorities and we have too many other things going on and we don't really want to carry a burden because it it it's a little uncomfortable you know the burden that we're supposed to carry is not supposed to crush you but you are supposed to carry one. It's not supposed to be debilitating. It's not supposed to be crushing. <clears throat> but when we ask the Lord to lift our burdens, the Bible says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
That means he's got one for you. He's got one for you. He's got a burden for you. He's got a yoke for you. A yoke would go around an ox. It would go around a mule. It would go around. It was made specifically for that breed of animal. And in many cases, it was actually made for the individual animal. Why? Because that, that animal could pull better. If you put a, a, a donkey's yoke on an ox, it would, it would almost choke it. And when it would start to pull, it would get blisters. It would wear. He wouldn't be able to pull very much because it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be resting against its shoulders. It would be pinching the neck. Otherwise, you put a big ox yoke on a, on a donkey, on a mule, and it would slide down to its shoulders, and it would hinder it from doing the, the real pulling it was supposed to do. But if you made sure that that yoke was made for that particular animal, it could pull very comfortably and get a lot of work done. You are supposed to have a yoke. The problem is sometimes we think his yoke is easy and his burden light means that he just lifts all of our burdens and, and lifts all the work and all of the yoke. That's never what it was intended to be. He's also not wanting to bury us with so much work and so much burden and so much concern that we're absolutely crushed by it. Look at your neighbor say, if it's going to be, it's up to me. The scripture tells us, let me just back up for just a second. You know, I've heard people say this before. And you can fill in the blank with this. You know, the church ought to, well, we all know what that means, right? Pastor and some key leaders. You know, we'd have revival if the church... You know, it'd be nice if our church would offer, if we, if the church would have, had a man in my office one time that looked at a bulletin, I was, I was visiting, visiting a friend's church in Atlanta, and he's got a good sized church, and so had one of his bulletins, and it was on my desk, and, and one of the ministers that was on staff at the time um, saw the bulletin, he said, man, uh, men's canoe trip, uh, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, uh, ladies are having a, a special uh, a tea and dinner. Um, the young people are doing this. And, and went through this whole list. He said, man, that would be great. You know, I wish our church could do that. And I said, we could. You want to lead one of those? Which one do you want to lead? He set that thing down like it was on fire. <laughs> like, like it just like ignited. And I'm not joking. He said that thing, Jack, you're probably in the office at the time. It wasn't Jack that did it, by the way. <laughs> he said, man, I'm, I'm too busy. I got too much going on. I said, yep. And that's why we don't have those things. We can find some people that aren't too busy. We can do those as well. The harvest is large, the scripture says, this passage says. There's many opportunities the, the harvest is plenteous. Well, pastor, it's so overwhelming. Well, you can look at it that way. We can look at those, this world and say there are so many lost people, pastor. It's just, it's just too overwhelming to even address. Let me tell you a story. This is just a story. I don't think this really happened, but it's a good story. And it'll, it'll, it'll stress my point on your perception on what's going on. Two salesmen are dropped off on this boat. They're dropped off on this island. And their job is to go find some new people to sell shoes to. 
These two salesmen are dropped off, two different companies. Both shoe salesmen, they show up at this island, and one guy calls back and says, come pick me up, this is a waste of our time. Nobody on this island wears shoes. There ain't no way, this is hopeless. They don't even wear shoes. Come pick me up. They send the boat back to get him. The other guy calls back and says, send me a tanker full of shoes. Nobody here's got any. We have an opportunity of a lifetime. Same scenario. One guy sees it's daunting. They're not going to accept it. They're not going to change. The other one says, I can, I can show them the value of this, and I've got an entire island full of opportunity. So you can look at your coworkers, you can look at your school, you can look at your neighbors, you can look at your neighborhood and say, man, am I the only one that loves Jesus around here? Or you can say, I'm the only one that may love Jesus around here. That means there's a lot that haven't met him yet. There's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of people I can talk to. There's a lot of people that I can share the good news with. The Bible says the laborers, everybody say laborers. It's work. Okay, it's work. It's work. It's work. Our country is so blessed right now, you, you just, it's just too easy to just sit at home and collect a check. It, you just, it's, it's, it's too easy not to work. God helped the church to not become that help. That, 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 that entitlement mentality that's out there, I pray, well, I won't say I won't pray that it doesn't come into the church. I think it already has. Pray that it doesn't stay in the church. Entitlement. Just like we would expect the government to take care of us. Don't ever let me, God, get to a point where I know there's certain things that I can't do on my own. i got to have a move of God. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. I know there's certain things that I can never do on my own. I've got to have God. I declare my dependence on God. I need Him. I can't go to heaven without Him. I can't be good enough to go to heaven without Him. I, I, I need Him. There's certain things in the supernatural that have to come from Him. However, however, there are some things that He won't do without me and without you. Why didn't He just save the world? He loves Him so much. Because that's not His plan. For God is not willing, if it's his will, he'll do it. No, God is not willing that any should perish, the Bible says. So his will is that nobody is lost, but that all would come to repentance. Do they? Have they? Some of it's because they chose, and some of it is because he can't find laborers to go to go to reach, to preach, to baptize, to convert, to teach them to observe all things. I don't want this church, I can't speak for every other church, I can speak for this church, I don't want this church to ever feel that sense of entitlement that we don't have to do some work for the kingdom. It's going to be work, it's going to be hard work, it's going to be emotional work. Why do we give? To give. We don't give to get. If you give to the Lord, he, he's, he's going to give it back to you. He, he'll, he'll, give you. he'll give you way more back than you gave. That sounds like a pretty good investment. But we can't give for that reason. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. I, I have watched God. 
Uh, if I had the time to tell you what God has done for my family through the years, I have stood in line as a minister to get the free cheese. I have had my kids stand in line to get the free shots because we couldn't afford them. Used to be that you'd have to buy the, get the white box stuff. You didn't get to shop with everybody else, and we did. We bought, but, but we had some assistance. We, we were on WIC. We, we did have some assistance for a season in our life where, where my taxes notified me that I was in poverty level, even though I was a full-time youth pastor, and my wife was at home with two kids, and, and I'm rehabbing a duplex to try to make sure that we could survive and live and run out the other half to try to make the mortgage on the whole place so we would have a place to live. And, and so I, I know what struggle's like, so... So God has really blessed us through the years, but I'm telling you, with all of that, we were still faithful in paying our tithes. We, we didn't pay God anything. We returned his portion back to him. It was faith. It was, it was hard, gritty faith. It was struggle faith. It was, God, I don't even know how this kind of math works. I knew I was in trouble when we started trying to add numbers and and. And, 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 and then when you started adding letters to equations, I was in trouble. I was great with addition and subtraction and multiplication, division, but you start throwing letters and parentheses things. I don't know how to add that stuff. Algebra? I'm in trouble. If I can't get that, you give me this kind of God math where you just keep doing your part and watching somehow that your, your accountant says, you're not even making it. Yeah, I am. No, you're not. Yeah, I am. No, you're not. Okay. And just watch the Lord. But, but to, to love and to labor, it's going, to be, it's going to be hard work. It's going to be emotional work. We give to give. So you know what? If we give to give, understand this principle. We also have to love for the sake of loving I know it hurts when you love and it doesn't come back. I know it hurts when you love and you get betrayed. I know when you love and somebody walks away. I know when you love and, and they don't love back the way you love. I know that, but, but God has, has, and it's taken me years to learn this, so please don't think that, if, that I've had this on lockdown my whole life, and, I, and I, I have a better understanding now. But I just have to love. And the, least, the less that I expect back, then the easier it is for me to freely give it. Is it still tough if somebody walks? Is it still tough if somebody doesn't return it? Is it still tough if it, does, it doesn't come back the way you gave it? Yes, but if I get the understand, understanding that I'm, but I'm just still going to love because I give to give, but I also love just for the sake of loving. No expectation of love and return. No expectation of loyalty. No expectation of commitment back to me. We love with the love of Christ. How was he loved in return? He loved. He's, he's made of love. That's what he does. He loves. How was his love returned back to him? They ridiculed him. They made fun of him. They set him up. They tortured him. They crucified him. They mocked him. They scourged him. Many loved him and followed him faithfully, though. But many turned when the loaves and fish ran out. Some men with leprosy didn't even return to thank him for healing them. 
when we love with, the, with his love, we love unconditionally. And like I said before, I'm still learning this. And I'm a little further along now than I was a few years ago in getting this principle. And I haven't always passed that test, but I'm doing better with it now. Why? Because if we learn to love so that we can love, so that this world can feel love, because the harvest is too large to give up for any reason, because there's still so many more people to reach. If I start being real selective with my love, there's no way we can reach the people that we're intended to reach. 1 Corinthians 9.22, To the weak I became as weak, that I might gain with the weak. I am made all things to all men, that by all means save, I might save some. Everybody say some. I know it sounds trite to say, can't win them all. But it's true. You try to win them all. But you're going, to wave, you're going to save some. And you're going to reach the hungry. This, this being made all things to all men means that you're flexible. You don't save everybody the same way. You have different means, different techniques, different reasons. You, you're, you're flexible. You're, you're relatable. You try to relate to people. You find out where they are. You're, you're inclusive. You, you make sure that you don't just pick just the... The, 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 the ones that you think should be saved. This would be a great fit in our church. I would love to have this person in my church. Truth of the matter is, God's going to send you to a vast people. That, that, that just When you put down a net to fish, you don't fish back there like you do now. You, you put on a special lure and a special line and a special kind of pole because you're going after a certain species. They didn't fish like that then. They dropped a net, and whatever got in that net, they took home with them. And that's what the church has to be. It has to be that we're not so selective. We are flexible. We are inclusive. That we might save some. Proverbs 11.30 The fruit of righteousness is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. Everybody say souls. I'm a man of God. I'm a pastor. I pastor two churches. I've been in ministry for 24 years. I've been preaching for probably 30 plus, maybe 40 years. I don't think I even know what a soul is. Anybody ever seen one? Would you know it if you saw it? I think it probably looks like a person. Might just be a blob. Might be a ghost looking thing. Maybe I can see through it. I don't know. Why is that important to know? Because we can talk about souls and it's this ambiguous thing. We know it represents a person, right? We know it represents a person's eternity. But when we talk about a burden for souls, if I say, I say let's come up here and have a burden for souls, it would mean nothing if you didn't see their faces. If you didn't pray for a Craig and Pam Strom, this church grieved for years. We prayed that God would help us to love people. Here's a couple that are so easy to love, but for a season, they were away from the Lord. 
it was easy to pray for Craig and Pam because we know them. Pray for his soul. It's hard to pray for his soul without seeing his face. It's hard to pray for her soul without seeing her face. You see, we can pray for souls, but what we're really doing is praying for people. We know they have a soul, right? We know the soul is in that person. We know that every one of them has a soul. I find it easier to develop a burden and a relationship with a person. They have a face. They have a name. I can have a relationship with a person. Sometimes the concept of a soul can be so vague, but a person is standing right in front of you. That's why I've kind of in the last three or four years have shifted my mentality instead of praying for souls to pray for people. Pray for people that I know. Pray for individuals. And I know I'm praying for their soul. But when I pray for the person, I'm calling out their name. I'm calling out coworkers. I'm calling out a city. I'm calling out people. I'm, I'm calling out individuals. And, it's, and I can pray with much more passion and burden when I'm talking about a person. If you're going to be a if you're going to bring a person to full conversion, you'll need wisdom according to this scripture. He that winneth souls is wise. You'll need to be spiritual. You'll need to be courageous. You'll need to be intentional. You'll need to be strategic, and you'll need to be wise. As the musicians come, the Chilean mining accident began on 5th of August, 2010, with a cave-in at the San Jose Copper Gold Mine. 33 men ranging from age of 19 to 63 were trapped 2,300 feet underground and three miles from the mine's entrance. Three separate drilling rig teams, nearly every Chilean government ministry, the United States Space Agency, NASA, and a dozen of corporations from around the world cooperated in this rescue. The collapse occurred on August 5th in 2010 when a group of 33 men were, were trapped deep inside. A thick dust cloud caused by rock to fall behind the miners for as much as six hours. Initially the trapped miners tried to escape through ventilation shafts but the ladders required by safety codes were missing. Rescuers attempted to bypass the rockfall at the main entryway through an alternative passage, but found each route blocked by fallen rock or they're threatened by their ongoing rock movement. After a second collapse on the 7th of August, rescuers were forced to use heavy machinery while trying to gain access via a ventilation shaft. Concerns that the additional attempts to pursue this route would cause further geological movement, it halted the attempts to reach the trapped miners through previously existing shafts and other means to find the men were salt. Exploratory boreholes about six feet three inches in diameter were, dr were drilled, ex excuse me, 6.3 inches in diameter were drilled in an attempt to find the miners. Out of date mine shaft maps complicated the rescue efforts. Winning somebody is never gonna be easy. I've had a couple, but it's challenging. It's, te it's teaching Bible studies with their dogs barking and TVs going in the background that they won't turn off. 
It's phone calls that they won't refuse to let just go to voicemail that they'll answer in the middle of your thing. It's people that don't understand questions and, and, and can't get past certain things. It's complicated. You have to keep trying with other efforts. And sometimes you need a team. Out-of-date mineshaft maps, complicated rescue efforts, and several boreholes drifted off target due to drilling depth and hard rock. On the 19th of August, one of the probes reached a space where the miners were believed to be trapped but found no signs of life. This plan suffered major setbacks due to the difficulty of aiming a large drill at such a small target. Furthermore, the hardness of the rock caused the drill bit to wander from its intended course and it then needed to be removed, resized, and repositioned, slowing down drilling progress. Many family members of the miners initially had high hopes for this rig, but it was forced to reduce its drill size, and so it lagged behind the other attempts. On August 22nd, the eighth borehole broke through at a depth of 2,257 feet at a ramp near their shelter where the miners had taken refuge. For days, the miners had heard drills approaching and had prepared notes, which they attached to the tip of the drill with insulation tape where it poked through the spaces. They also tapped on the drill before it was withdrawn and these taps could be heard on the surface. Hours later, video cameras sent down the borehole captured the first grainy black and white silent images of the miners. When the first miners emerged safe and sound, one official said, I hope all the bells of the churches of Chile ring out forcibly with joy and hope because faith has moved mountains. When Esteban Rojas stepped out of the rescued capsule, he immediately knelt to the ground with his hands together in prayer and raised his arms above him in adoration. The final rescued effort to receive the miners began on Tuesday, October 12th. Each man was winched to the surface one at a time in a specially built capsule. On October 13, 2010, after spending 69 days, more than two months, nearly half a mile underground, 33 miners were rescued, lifted out to safety, one by one. As we stand today, do you know anybody that's trapped? anybody that can't seem to get past their situation they can't get past their past they know about church they know about Jesus they know about heaven but it just seems too good to be true they think that's good for you because you got a perfect right we all have a perfect we don't have any troubles we don't have any trials right what, what their perception is they don't know but God is faithful to help us to navigate through our messes too you have the means to rescue them it'll take some work it'll take some strategy it'll take a burden are you willing to follow the great commission and go or are you willing to seek and save that which was lost are you able to share the hope that you've been given are you a laborer or are you a worker are you willing to do all that you can to save some?
Are you willing to exercise some wisdom to see somebody saved? I open up this altar. Lord, this year I want to save somebody. Even if it's just one. What would happen with this church? If you would just win one person. What if in this entire year I would just win one? And you win one. And you win one. We may even combine our efforts. Maybe I'll bring some money and you'll be nice to them. And maybe they'll say, I used to work with you. And we'll find that somebody's kids go to school together. And then we'll find out that somebody else in the church has a common interest with them. And all of a sudden we find that it's not just this company that lost these miners trying to do the work to get them out, that you have NASA and, and, and other countries joining together. Maybe we'll find out that as we bring my one and your one, that, that maybe we'll find out that we'll all join together and try to help in that rescue so that we can save that one bring them to a knowledge and an understanding of Christ so I'm not talking about a soul I'm talking about a person you know not some ambiguous soul that you've never met I'm talking about your friend, your neighbor your family member your co-worker your mechanic wonder if we could see those faces right now and just begin to lift our voice and say, God, help me this year to rescue one. Lord, right now I'm not praying for worldwide revival. I'm not